0: Thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Uh, Claudia, maybe as a quick introduction, you could give our listeners a small intro to yourself and your work and what you're,
1: you're doing. Yeah, of course. Uh, thank you for inviting me. Um, so yeah, I'm Claudia. I'm a third year PhD student in, uh, at the University of Copenhagen in the lab of uh, Stefan Pless. So we're a lab working with yeah, ion channels and receptors primarily. So we're doing all electrophysiology and um when i joined the lab about two years ago um i I joined on a project that was not published until that point at all and it was something that one of my colleagues had already been working on for a bit so when i joined i think i came at the right time because he had already made quite a bit of progress so what we're working on is um um, called nelson a protein called nelson so it's an ion channel that is um non-selective among monovalent cations and it um, provides a, a sodium leak in the membrane so it's um, a bit yeah we can we can say it's a sort of untraditional ion channel um, as it, it's it's kind of its um, own kind basically so a lot of um, other voltage um channels have several members in the family whereas nelson is kind of one of a kind. So basically when I started two years ago, we had just started up the project and we received uh, funding for my position. So I am coming from a non-electrophysiology or ion channel background, or at least I did my master's in mostly structural biology before actually. And um, actually, fun fact, in light of the Nobel Prize in chemistry this year, I did a lot of work on CRISPR system, not Cas9, but um, still have been uh, Kind of following that closely of course oh, um, wow. yeah so that's that was of course a um, very interesting development this year that this Nobel Prize finally um, was given to Jennifer Downer and Emmanuel uh, Charpentier but um yeah so I actually did a complete switch in in topics when I when I joined the, the lab of Stefan um, and so I knew basically nothing about ion channels when I started. So that's actually a bit of a challenge because I knew nothing about ion channels. And then I started on one that we knew very little about as well. So, um, that's, yeah, that was
0: gonna, that was going to be my next transitional question actually, because looking at your profile, um, I would necessarily say that there was a little switch. Um, if I looked at, yeah, I guess also what you just mentioned right now, in terms of, you know, when you're doing your master's and looking for postdoctoral work, um, was there anything specific about eFIS that caught your attention or how did you wind up at, at uh, Pless's lab?
1: It was a number of things. I mean, I really actually enjoyed structural biology, but um, um, there wasn't really a position available. Um, and I really like Copenhagen. So I kind of looked around and um, so in Stefan's lab, I think, there were several things that caught my attention it was a the project I mean something new where you could actually find out new things I think that's that's great I mean that's kind of what we're all trying to do but sometimes more (laughs) um, more new than other times and um, also I think the the working environment was um, very appealing Um, I think um, yeah we have a very um, great lab really I mean it's a young lab but um, a lot of very enthusiastic um, uh, young scientists. And I think that's something that was really um, kind of, yeah. um, how do you say, yeah, appealing, I guess, in a way, um, to me, um, to be able to be part of such a group with, um, with a lot of dynamic also, and a project that was at that point already starting to be quite promising because there was already quite some work on the way so when I started we already knew that we could um, functionally express this ion shell which had been a, a huge challenge the years before and which is one of yeah probably the main reasons why there hadn't been much uh, research uh, done on that uh, channel in heterology systems. so um, we in our lab we use um, yeah we use two electrode voltage clamp in other sites and we also do patch clamping manual patch clamping and um, Yeah, so when I started, we already knew that we could functionally express this ion channel by co-expressing it with three other proteins. I think that was one of the key developments which made it interesting for me, because then suddenly we could learn a lot in relatively short time about this new channel. Um, So that was... I've
0: I've asked, um, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. I've asked uh, other guests that I've had on the podcast um, a little bit about their transition into ePhys and maybe some of the technology that they're using in their lab. Um, I wanna backdrop a little bit before I kind of go into the technical aspect of things. Obviously now <clears throat> for the better part of some uh, months now, we're all dealing with the effects of you know what the global pandemic has meant uh, for, for the working environment in the lab. Maybe you can speak a little bit about how things are in, in, in Copenhagen at the moment? Um, you know, how has it been transitioning into ephys and maybe learning a new technique like manual patch clamp? Maybe you can touch a little bit upon that.
1: Sure, I mean, that's a lot of topics at once, I'll try. Um, yeah, um, let's start with the with this year and the pandemic actually has had a huge impact. I mean, I think in Denmark we're severely affected as in many other countries, but of course we've had a massive lockdown. I think Denmark was one of the first countries to shut everything down in March. So that was really from one day to another we had to throw out everything in the lab or kind of oh, wow. kill our cell lines and it was all um, in home office for a few weeks and that was um, yeah, a, speci- a special challenge for us since we were um, at that point under a review for, for this um, structural paper that we published in Nature now. So in the end when we were going back to the lab in shifts initially we had to kind of finish up some experiments for that and it was under a lot of time pressure and and under very uncertain conditions so we couldn't really do much planning which is really not ideal when you want to do lab experiments clearly. Other than that I think um, in Denmark it hasn't been so bad so I think the, um, the government uh realized quickly that they also um wanted to make sure that research wouldn't just stop completely so even though we're not doing any work on anything uh virus related um we were allowed back into the lab relatively quickly and we are working under yeah i mean we're of course always working under more or less sterile conditions but now um uh even more so and thankfully we're not yeah working in very crowded labs so it's um it's doable to keep a distance so that's what we're trying to do at the moment but basically we have been up and running since may again i think so we're we're yeah home only for a couple of weeks
0: and in terms of the kind of um you know uncertainty and downtime that that this has caused were there other um mandates or or Um, time availability to to say, hey, let's, you know, take this time to see if there's any funding agencies. Um, Obviously, there were also some papers earlier uh, in the year that elucidated a little bit of the significance that ion channels may play in other coronaviruses. I I don't know if you caught that Um, in in, in the community. uh, That was something that came out earlier. So I don't know, was maybe where I'm getting at with this, was this time period giving more allocation to finding more funding opportunities? Um, Is that something that maybe was talked upon in the lab?
1: Um, Certainly. So I guess the answer is yes and no. So there has been um, provided a lot of funding here in Denmark for anything SARS or COVID-related research. And there are also um, a number of labs that basically were never shut down because they were working on, on something uh, related to that. Um, so there has been um, a lot of funding made available for those things. But for example, um, for most of us PhD students or postdocs, we haven't gotten any extensions, funded extensions necessarily um, for the kind of time lost in the lab and here in Denmark. Um, PhD programs are um, set for three years so that's kind of um, there's a harsh deadline that we have to meet um, for finishing. Um, So I guess yeah um, in many ways there has been a lot of funding made available but not necessarily to us because we're not in that field. Um,
0: Sure sure. and and now quickly just looking uh, you previously touched upon the paper that was published in Nature earlier and maybe we can take a look at that um, obviously, looking at the structure of this sodium leak channel and, and the significance, maybe you can talk a little bit about that work. And uh, I think there was a collaboration with uh, Genentech, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe you can talk about that kind of, um, yeah, liaisons and, and maybe just kind of give a, a nice summation of the of the paper and, yeah, the, the significance that this plays to studying this uh, channelopathy and, and maybe some of the disorders. Mm-hmm. Associated with this uh, iron.
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, yeah, the nature paper. I mean, of course, I have to say, um, all credit for the structure of nursing goes to Genentech and the team working on that. They have been on it uh, for quite some time. But um, yeah, my PhD project actually isn't that much structure related necessarily. Um, so my, my project is um, to characterize uh, disease causing mutations in that sodium leak channel and actually also in, um, there are also mutations in one of the associated proteins called ANG-80. And I think this publication for us, it was, yeah, I mean, the right time, the right place, everything came together, kind of. We had just published in April a first functional characterization of the channel. So, a lot of new knowledge that we had obtained um, since we could functionally express the channel in heterologous systems, so neuroscience and hex cells, for example, in our lab. And then the structure was exceptionally good timing, I think. Um, so, it allowed me, for example, to map out the human mutations in the channel to see where they were located. And um, it's the first structure that we had of of the channel, and there were actually quite some surprises. So there are a number of differences to other, uh, say, voltage-gated sodium and calcium channels that are in the same superfamily. And also we saw that NLCA was actually Mm -hmm. tightly connected um, to one of the interaction partners that we uh, had already been using for functional expression, but that was kind of proof that it was actually an auxiliary subunit sub- of the channel so that was a lot of new knowledge that was very useful certainly
0: so you you mentioned uh, your phd project and then specifically looking at characterization uh, what kind of advice would you give someone that maybe was looking at uh, undertaking a, a phd and and you know in the whole realm of you you know curating content maybe you could guide us a little bit in the direction of how you begin to amass uh, what direction you want to take in terms of of a potential project, maybe that is something you can talk about.
1: Um, yeah, I'm not sure how to give advice. I think, um, the project in this case, so the outline of the project was already given because it was, that was what we had funding for. And, um, I think for me, it mattered most to choose the right position to choose a project where um, I wouldn't necessarily be working all on my own the whole time, so I'm very grateful to have had a number of um, great colleagues um, the last two years who were doing other things. But we have a lot of, I think, good discussions in the lab about things that work or don't work, which is, I think, especially helpful when doing patch clamping, for example, because working on a new channel, establishing protocols for that, I don't think I would have made that much progress on my own. Certainly. Um, so, so that was um, a huge help to be able to discuss uh, the project with others. I mean, this year has been actually difficult in that regard because all the conferences that we want to go to have been canceled. So I think at this point, we're really relying on each other to give feedback and to discuss the things. And um, I think I'm very lucky to actually also have um, with Stefan, a boss who is very invested in the project which is also not necessarily rare, but I've also seen others um, that did not necessarily get very involved. And I think it's a huge advantage to have a lab where everybody's really interested in what the others do and giving feedback. And we're doing a lot of problem solving by just chatting in the lab when things don't work or thinking about new ideas, how to approach something. So often the best ideas are kind of in between somewhere In the hallway or in the lab Um, so that's that's really i think very important for me personally with this project like i think my, my only piece of advice is that you really need to have a little bit of enthusiasm for the project in yourself somehow you can't like even with the best working environment you have to have it in yourself somehow that you really enjoy the work not necessarily long days of pension where nothing works but um still, you have to get through those paces. And for that, you need um, a good amount of um, enthusiasm and and interest and curiosity for science.
0: For sure. It's like everything, right? The more passion you bring into something, the more enthusiastic you're going to get and uh, the more quote unquote fun you're going to have with the the whole uh, setup, so to speak. Um, I've had previous conversations with uh, other individuals that were also working uh, specifically on, on manual patch clamp uh Mm set up and it can get frustrating if if you're prepping all the work and at the end of the day it's it's not uh, having the outcome that you you know foresaw it is challenging so that leads me back to to where i wanted to kind of um, bring the conversation and looking at the technical side of things and and the working conditions in the lab um, obviously you're, you're familiar with the manual patch clamp setup um is your lab having any sort of automation as well? Do you have any automated patch clamp? Have you had any training on automated patch clamp systems?
1: Not me personally. So I mean, for for my project, we have been just establishing kind of the first protocols, and we've um learned so many like very basic things about the protein that we haven't even started looking into that but i i do have a colleague who has uh, worked with the synchro patch a lot when characterizing a lot of different mutations and testing a lot of different conditions so um even there there are technical challenges with solution exchange getting the pH right and and all these things but um so it has definitely been um and also a topic of discussion in our lab not for my project personally, but um, it's interesting to see uh, what you can do with it and how much data you can obtain if you set up the experiment, right?
0: Definitely. I think that um, in itself gives a lot of flexibility. Um, Obviously there's a lot of things that automation can bring and and the more data acquisition that you can, uh, you know, turn over the faster that you can process all this information. So I, I think automated definitely provides that um and and, yeah naturally it just depends on the scale and scope of of your individual project and needs but it it is something that offers some sort of convenience and efficiency when you look at the grand scheme of things Uh, we held a a webinar earlier in the year with uh, a professor uh, dr al george from northwestern um, and he was looking at uh, variants of unknown significance i think he's working specifically um around I want to say it's um, epilepsy and so it was quite interesting obviously his lab is producing a ton of data um, and he's publishing a lot of work so it is something that you know I I do see as a trend going forward um, that that more people will look at you know kind of transitioning into some sort of automation in their lab just to get more data.
1: That's actually an interesting approach I mean I'm also working with a lot of um yeah in this case disease variants which i'm mutating one by one which is a bit tedious still um yeah i mean i guess at some point automation i mean for for many reasons it can be a huge advantage i mean to um yeah with patch patching we also need a lot of quality controls when we do it manually um but with automated systems you can kind of discard data more easily if um if it doesn't meet the quality standards, but you still have to, I guess, keep a very close eye on uh, making sure that the recordings are um, meeting those certain standards, right?
0: Definitely, definitely. And then looking at, um, you know, where you would foresee yourself um, professionally, uh, you know, within the next couple of years, do you see any specific trajectory? Would you see yourself more within academia? Do you see yourself transitioning into um, a role within industry, um, further investigating some of these, um, you know, projects that maybe you undertook during your PhD? Yeah,
1: well, that's, that's, of course, an interesting question. I have about less than a year left on my PhD now, so it's definitely something I'm thinking about, and I have learned, and I knew before, that I really like to go into the details and nitty-gritty work, and like to kind of really dive into a project and learn about Yeah, all the small details and not just the broader scope. So I I definitely enjoy what I'm doing and um, I I enjoy working in academia, but I also have to say that um, academia positions are often very time limited. And I know that a lot of people spend just a lot of time on securing funding rather than being able to do research. Um, so that's that's always something to keep in mind, right, and um, I know that in Denmark there are discussions about um, funding more senior positions, um, more long term, but um, there hasn't been that much progress on that end, so that's, that's always um, something to keep in mind, because in the end you also want to be able to do your work and not just spend time writing grant applications necessarily, right?
0: definitely definitely and you're putting so much effort in in through the whole process that uh, you really want to see a whole project through and and, and you want to continue um like you mentioned that the finer details of things i think is quite important so uh yeah we're interested to, to see how the the second half or the the latter tail of your um upcoming project ends and uh yeah we look forward to getting more published work from you whether it's within academia, whether it's within, um, specifically looking at a, at a topic, uh, I think that was something for us to look forward to.
1: Yeah. Let's see what I come up with in the next year or so (laughs) But um, I'll do my best. Thanks. I mean, it's uh, always a great opportunity to be able to talk about any of the work, um, because it's so, so detailed and especially working on a disease that only affects, yeah about 100 patients in the world, so it's very rare and and not a lot of people know about it. Um, So at the moment, it's pretty much easier to work on something virus related, which it actually hadn't been before. So um, I guess this changes a lot, Um, but as long as there are a few people interested in ion channels and this particular ion channel, um, like me, then um, I think it's um, already a, a good start.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, it's a great contribution. And at the end of the day, it's something that um, even if it affected one person, I think it's a significant endeavor. So, uh, commend you on that. And yeah, looking forward to really getting more information out on this and happy to shed light on it. And if it can offer any collaborations, then we're happy to, to connect the dots, so to speak. Um, I'll link the publication in the description. I'll make sure that any other, um, papers are also tagged. If you want any additional references, um, just forward that on to me and I'm sure to include that as well.
1: Sounds good. Let's do that then.
0: All right, perfect. Yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us, Claudia. Then I a good rest of the afternoon.
1: Yeah, thank you. You too.